You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. Episode 113, Utilization Beyond the Meat with Stevie Funford. On this episode of Huntivore, the chat goes beyond the meat and dives into the extras. Organs, bones, hides, venison, tallow even. Nick is joined by Canadian guide, wild edibles connoisseur, and all-around culinary adventurer, Stevie Funfer. Together, they pick over the pieces that are usually an afterthought when processing venison. Which organs are they keeping, and how does Stevie prepare his for the kitchen? How stock and broth are both super important and how some possible avenues for deer tallow can be used. Time for us to pick over what's left and glean some tasty tidbits on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Man, it's, uh, you know, we've been playing with this up and down, this like rain and no rain, and then it dry out for a little bit, and then we get a, a teaser of some cold temperatures i think uh i think winter's serious now i think it's got us first pushing coming in it's going to start with a little liquid and then it's going to turn to some ice and then we're going to throw some snow on top of it so i think winter is really tightening its grip it's actually here are we going to have a white christmas i think i said that the last episode wondering if we are it's uh it's getting more and more that way but folks uh i am here tonight with somebody who is a super fun to talk with. I mean, just just getting online with him. We've already had a good time here for the past five minutes. Um, <laughs> he's he's a, a brother from up north. He's up in uh, the great wild up there of Canada. We're talking with Stephen. You may know him uh, on Instagram as Stevie Funfur. Stephen, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast tonight. Um, you told me it was uh, like... 
negative 15 centigrade up there in Canada. I'm, I'm not sure what, what that is, but I, it sounds cold. Oh, yeah, it's cold. We got a cold, cold front that just moved in. And uh, hopefully for anybody who didn't get their deer yet, uh, that's good news for the tomorrow's the last day of the late archery hunt. So good luck, brothers out there. Uh, but yeah, it's cold. Minus 12 centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Sorry, I can't do the math. We're, <laughs> math, we're, uh, we're metric up here. But it's it's cold and it's snowing and uh, it's about damn time. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. So we're, you're getting some cold temps. Um, maybe it's a little too early uh, to get on on the ice. Uh, are you getting any ice fishing in yet or is it still a little early for that? It's a little early. The ice is just starting to form on my lake anyway. Uh, we're probably, the season here is reliable January 1st, pretty much. It can vary year by year. And you know, with the climate change stuff last year, I couldn't get clients out safely until I would say the ninth or 10th, which was kind of a first time ever for oh, that, my. like that I can remember in, since I've been a kid here. <laughs> so that was a little freaky, but, uh, it's on the way it's freezing over and, uh, it's just a little thin yet. Gotcha. Well, Steve, give us a little intro as to who you are and and what you do. If anybody's been following along with his Instagram, uh, Steve's got his foot in just about everything, and he provides a wealth of knowledge. I tell you, like jack of all trades is I I feel that doesn't quite do you justice. <laughs> what What do you do, Steve? Well, I'm uh. I was in the music business for many, many years before I got back into the outdoor stuff. But my history uh, is that my family's business was a hunting and fishing camp. I grew up out in these forests and on these lakes uh, guiding. I was literally on the water with clients when I was nine years old. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah, wow. You can't even imagine that today, <laughs> right? But um, so I grew up out in these forests here in Halliburton, Ontario. And uh, I was away from it for a real long time. I kind of lived all over the world uh, as working and touring as a musician, like a hired gun for many years. And then I got into the studio business and had some studios uh, kind of all over the place in Europe and uh, Morocco. I had one in Hong Kong, uh, et cetera. And uh, then I moved back to Canada in 2015 and did like a kind of a big pivot back to the outdoors. I kind of lost my connection to these forests you know and uh i really felt it real strongly when i came back to canada and i came up here for the summer after my divorce thinking oh, i have this place here and i was thinking oh yeah i'll spend the summer up there and it'll be great and uh i was gonna move back to toronto and open a new room like a new studio and everything and then i just never wanted to leave man <laughs> so that's i just stayed and i did like i said this big pivot and started this little outfitting business and uh, my little instagram project and started hunting fishing foraging i teach courses on wild mushrooms i'm a professional angler and uh i try and every day that i'm out there i try to learn something and on my instagram i try and share it right back out to the world uh is the idea of stevie underscore fun for is uh you know when i learn a new thing or i'm doing something that i think might be interesting to people i jam it on there i just throw it up that's awesome and what a story too to go from you know a life altering change where yeah you're a little bit on walkabout at this point you're yeah man you're looking for man 100%. where how do i anchor myself down and how how impactful the outdoors really can when you get away 
from society, when you unplug, when you get away, shoot, here I am wearing headphones and talking to a microphone when we get away <laughs> right? technology. Yeah, yeah. Who am I? Still part um, of it. <laughs> but at the same time, when you can disconnect and when you can really root yourself into something solid, be it solid ground and how, yes, what a draw it can have. I know there's sportsmen right there's, there's sportmen right now, there's anglers right now that are just nodding their head along with what you were saying. Like, man, when I feel when I feel disconnected, when I feel lost, when I feel like, man, things are just not going well, a good afternoon in the woods can really yeah. change. It's a trail, change hit the water. Feeling. Yeah. Well, there's another element to it. I don't know how much uh, time we have, but I'll, I will just give you the short version of it. There's another whole element to it is that, you know, when I, I was planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, on tour and living in hotels and working all over the place for many, many years. And as a result of that lifestyle, uh and you know obviously not eating very well in 15 20 hour days uh in the recording studio etc you know just living on coffee and a whole bunch of other substances to do those 20 hour days mm-hmm. um i got really sick man my health was in massive decline i have a autoimmune disease a degenerative polyarthritis uh, it's in my hands and my spine and everything it's called psoriatic oh arthritis so there was a huge like health element too to me getting back to the outdoors and getting into a more healthy lifestyle. Um, I moved back up here into the woods and I realized just the abundance that nature could provide for me out here. And I tried to, I had this kind of like a, like an epiphany moment. You ever read that quote from Socrates? It says, let food be thy medicine. You ever heard that? I, I've heard, I haven't heard a lot from Socrates, but what I have, he, man, he was a really smart guy. He's a smart dude, man. <laughs> Anyway, that quote was like a light bulb going off, and I realized, man, there's deer in these forces, forests, there's fish in the water, there's mushrooms and plants. I got all this space out here to grow a big organic garden, etc. And I had this idea, being so sick for so long, seeing doctors all over the world. Like, I was on chemo drugs for seven years, man. It was wrecking my health, that, those toxic chemicals, you know? Wow. And I had this idea, like... um how far can I remove myself from like this toxic soup of the modern world? Right. And that's where this whole outdoors thing really came from as a vocation. And even my Instagram and all that stuff was like, I have cured myself of like an incurable disease, man. I was on those pills. I was taking all kinds of stuff, but just getting out of the chemicals and that toxic soup, like I was talking about, uh, believe it or not. And it is hard to believe with, um, just, getting off industrial meat was a huge one for me mm-hmm. uh going organic like i grow over a thousand pounds of food a year here now um and medicinal mushrooms believe it or not i teach courses on those things now etc um i literally don't take any uh crappy chemical medicines and i'm happy to tell you i've had zero symptoms for over four years now um of a disease where you're talking to a guy that like seven years ago eight years ago i some mornings i couldn't pick up a coffee cup dude Oh my goodness. You know, and now I'm winching boats out of the water with one arm and dragging a deer out of the forest with the other. <laughs> <laughs> Living the life. So, hey, folks, if you needed proof, there it is right there. A man that was just, yeah, bound and just crippled to someone. I was now. in a bad way, man, for a long yeah. time. And the, and the forest healed me, man. Believe it or not, it is real. It's not, not hippie nonsense. This stuff works. Well, good. This is where this is where I was excited to get a hold of you. Is yeah, I've been following you along for a couple of years now, and yeah, pandemic sets in, and you do you try to you kind of circle at that point, man, circling the wagons and really finding people who kind of jive with the same 
um, save wavelengths that you you put off. Who's got the good dislike? You know, what do you like, and what are what are our passions about? And you find these people that you just line up with, and I tell you, come on, Instagram for that. Yeah, it's such it, a good crowd, man. You know, there's so many cool people on there. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, man. Go ahead. I, no, I just, that's because it you. is. It, you create this community, and shoot, I mean, I got the outlet right here as a, as a podcaster. I this is my excuse to reach out to folks uh, under the veil of yeah, we're doing this for a podcast. I just got to get my own selfish questions to throw in there and talk to people. Um, <laughs> but seeing that and seeing what you've been doing, and yeah, again, throwing out, hey, this is what I did. This is what I've done. Uh, just your gardening tips and even just uh, the sagas that you take us on. Like you got, you got your chance to get a doe this year and that's yeah. what really kind of sparked it off is I, I really jumped into to watching your uh, story on the developments of this doe. Yeah. You put it down. Um, but then it was like, Hey, I want to see how long I can age this and we're going to do this inside the shed. And you were taking people along on a ride where you had a, you had blankets around this doe. You had a yeah. space heater. Uh, underneath it, and for someone down here in the lower 48 that's not... Yeah, up, it probably blew your mind, right? right? See the space heater in there? Yeah, we're like, whoa, whoa, get that thing out of there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see I can see the box fan. I'm, I use the box fan. Keep air moving, yep. And then but it was like, shoot, man, you're tucking this thing into bed. You got moving blankets all over the place. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. If you're interested in that, so here it really depends on the weather. So as you know, ideal aging temperatures, I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit exactly. Actually, I could probably do it because it's an easy one. It's between zero and four degrees Celsius or centigrade. And I think for you guys, that's 32 to 40-ish, right? Yeah. Is that about the right Yeah. Rating? We want to stay up above 32. Yeah, 34 and not above is, 40. Yeah. But yeah, 40 is kind of like that, like cut off mark. Yep. So here, it depends on the weather. There's years where I just let it hang right outside. Uh, literally on my front lawn, I've got another gamber load off a tree there. And when the weather's just right, I'll hang it out there. But I throw it in the garage because this year we had a serious cold snap. Uh, and again, I had minus 12, minus 15 centigrade. And I didn't want to freeze that deer. Oh, right? So we, I have icicle. the opposite problem of guys down south who are like probably thinking, that's crazy, man. I'm You're wrapping it in like packing blankets and throwing a space <laughs> heater. I created a whole microclimate in there. And I monitor it really closely. I'm really into like aging meat to get yeah. it, like, the maximum flavor and tenderness and all that stuff. And even with all those packing blankets and that space heater right under that little dough this year, I was struggling to keep it uh, from freezing. The entire, I hung that deer for 13 days this year. And it was a challenge every single day to keep that thing from freezing. And as you know, once you go below 32 Fahrenheit for your audience down there in the States or zero for us up here, um, you're not aging that meat anymore. You're just freezing it. Yeah. Right? And in fact, damaging some of the cell walls, et cetera, and maybe compromising quality. So you want to be real careful about it. So I know that seems like super crazy to you guys down there, but we got to do some crazy stuff. If you don't have like a fancy walk-in freezer up here, right? You got to work for it to age them properly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So no, it was great to see that. And just to me, like, yeah, like, man, how, when, when mother nature throws, uh, an, or a conundrum at you, like, shoot, yeah. this is, I got to protect my bounty. Um, That's right. It, you got yeah, down here. It's yeah. We, we end up with a lot of rain right in the time when you're like, man, I want to hang this up in an open space. So it's always like, yeah, the, the barn or the shed is always a good spot to do it. Um, keeping it high enough so that you don't get many barn cats. If you're keeping it in a, in a barn. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I've got a cement floor in mine, and so that actually acts as like a cold sink. So there was a couple days that where, helped, yeah, yeah, keep it. It would get up to like fifty two degrees at like the high point of the day. But I knew like if I got the uh, I got the fan blowing on it, it's gonna stay yeah. dry. I have. I got got it closed up. I got it dark in the shade, and that just that big cement slab underneath it just yeah, release that yeah. release that coldness to it. So it's like, all right, we're we're okay. Just nobody panic at this. And yeah, we were yeah the, yeah the dough and buck. I got uh, the buck. I got ten days on, and then the dough uh, due to I, I mean life craziness. That one actually got a good 14, 14 or fifteen days because it spent oh, a couple days you, in the fridge. That'll it be was the best totally, one. Yeah, it was totally yeah. accidental, but yeah, both of them cut beautifully. Um, shoot, I mean, at some point, like I could just take my hand and slide it between the connective tissue. The, the thing wanted to come apart and slice. Well, that's how through. I do it for the for the vast majority. I try to like just as a quick tip. If you have new guys out there, the less you can do with your knife, the better. The cleaner your results are going to be. I try and do that exact trick with my fingers beneath be, between the muscle groups um, to just really end up with nice finished products and not like screw up with the knife. Right. Exactly. It is funny too. You mentioned that, like, yeah, the more you can do with your hands, sticking them in there, you know, separating it out. And even I've gotten into it too, where I'll talk to guys and I'll be like, I get a lot of field dressing questions. And so they're like, Hey, how do I clean out this deer? How do I get it really good? I'm like, first, that's gotta, the number one fear I find in most new hunters, man. Yeah. I, I got to get, you got to get the butt out. You got to get the anus out of there. That's the freaky part for a lot of people, man. I talked to a good buddy. He's, he's a couple years younger than me, but at the same time I was like, all right, get in there, stick your thumb in and like pull it down. He's like, you, you want me to stick my thumb up its butt? I'm like, dude, it's already dead. <laughs> it can't, it's not going to feel it right it got, now. It don't mind, man. <laughs> yeah. Get in there. It's going to mind more of how you treat it while it's hanging up here. Okay. That's but right. you know, if, if you right. want to clean it out here, like it's good, yeah. you know, it's fine with it at this point. You get her done. You guys got to get her done. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, he had a couple wiggles there and a couple, couple willies, but at the same time, he, uh, he, he powered through, he did a good job. Good. Good for him, man. It's, I think it's that first one, right? You just got to get it under your belt. And then it's like, it's all become second nature once you do it a few times, you know? Exactly. Well, not to fast forward, uh, Steve, but, um, you know, we, we've talked butchery on this, on this podcast before we've talked, um, you know, kind of how to prepare or even how to break down animals and stuff. Um, one thing I really wanted to chat with you on is again, somebody in the kitchen, we'll get into the kitchen here a little bit, but taking animals and taking our game, not just the, the meat itself, but getting the extra mile out of it and really focusing on the byproducts that yeah. stuff that doesn't really get talked about unless it's shoot. It's, it's gotta be stories from the old days, the old timers, you know, my, my uncle, my great grandfather, you hear these stories of people saving stuff or even at the same time, like now it's like, history book is is bringing stuff up where hides were used as clothing but right now when we skin them there's a lot of times that that just gets pitched out into the compost or it gets pitched out into the the bag the for wolf. the landfill or the yeah, yeah to the wolves and coyotes that it's we've we, i mean we've we've prized the meat so much and we we want to use that as much as possible but at the same time, we've also kind of lost a little bit of our creativity. We've lost a little bit of our uh, extra mileage out yeah, of what we can get. And I don't want to say that's necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, if we completely forget about it, maybe that's the bad thing. But here we are. We're trying to renaissance this, me and you. Um, some of the byproducts, what are you saving 
off your deer or shoot even off your fish that isn't a fillet that isn't uh straight Back meat. Trap. yeah 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 what is the stuff that you're saving well, just to let me re- rewind just a little bit, just on the butchery thing. I know you don't want to touch on too much, but I want to just say that, um, you know, uh, I think anybody that is intimidated by it, I just want to put out like a general PSA because there's a lot of guys up in our neck of the woods, and I'm sure down there who are a little bit intimidated by it and by like the, you know, the food safety stuff and all that. Uh, and they take it to a local butcher, and there's a hundred percent nothing wrong with supporting your local butcher. Please do that for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, doing it yourself, the one thing I want to say about it, doing it yourself and learning the anatomy and getting good at it is probably the most fun and most rewarding thing that I've learned uh, in my life. Like butchery, if you would ask me even 10 years ago uh, about butchery, I would have probably laughed or like been confused, right? You don't think of it as like this fun, creative thing, but I love breaking down like a backhand, for example, on a deer. And just that can be anything, man. It's like, that can be steaks. It can be jerky. It can be grind. It can be nice cuts for the table. It can be X, Y, and Z, right? And there's so much value in learning that stuff. Um, and I do a lot of tutorials and how-to videos on my Instagram channel. Again, that's uh, Steve underscore fun for, for anybody just tuning in. Um, and uh, I just want to encourage everybody to like, yeah, support that local butcher. You know, when you're just getting into it, maybe you're intimidated. But put, if you put in that time, you will not regret it. It'll be one of the highlights of your year, man. That's really how I feel about it when I get to break down a deer. I feel like it's a privilege, you know, in a way. And I really look forward to it. So, um, sorry, I'm not going to go too far into butchery because, again, I got so many how-tos and videos and 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 uh, Instagram stories on this stuff. Um, I love just promoting the very idea of it. I just wanted to mention that. But Absolutely. let's get into the nose-to-tail thing as per to pertain to your question there, man. Yeah, because that's um, it's not new, but it's relatively new in the last few years where I've really been putting a lot of extra effort into not only like researching it uh, and taking those cuts and using everything, every last little bit that I can off a deer, for example. We'll talk fish, too, in a minute, Um, but also um, the best ways to prepare those things, um, trying to push those boundaries and uh, getting them into the kitchen and kind of trying to evolve my own tastes and stuff because like for example like liver like i never liked liver even like from the time i was a kid i didn't like it but you know what i never had a fresh one straight out of a deer straight into the fridge for maybe just a day sliced real thin with some garlic and onions and a casty you know what i mean fresh like it's like a deer liver fresh bro is yeah. not what that nasty gray looking crap your dad used to like fry up with onions. You know what I mean? Like my dad <laughs> loved that stuff out of the grocery store. Like I wouldn't touch that stuff with a 10 foot pole, but a venison liver is a whole other story, man. And you can actually apply that to every other edible organ and a whole bunch of other stuff. Most guys don't even consider as being like food, you know, like in, in between quotes, like quote unquote food, you know, they leave I for year. And I, you know, like I'm just as guilty as anybody. Like, you for a long time not 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 the edible organs like heart liver i always took but um for example the kidneys the tongue the call fat etc those have all become delicacies to me that i only get once a year you know that i really look forward to and those are really delicious cuts man that most people leave out in the gut pile for the coyotes you know yeah i actually snagged the this is my first year that i snagged two sets of kidneys um I went through a bout of kidney stones 
uh, this past oh. year. And okay. I tell you what, man, that was a life, life changing experience. Um, that's hard it, on a guy, man. Oh boy. I got done with surgery. Uh, they actually had to go in and pull one out. He, uh, he did one of the, like that big tanker, how it took that like hard right turn in the Suez canal and got blocked. Oh yeah. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Blocked mine did that. You know, oh, <laughs> so man. they had to go in and get it. So here I had like this catheter thing up, uh, up the wrong way of a, of a one way here. And I, I decided I'm like, I was just so, I, I need to get out in the woods. And my wife was like, listen, take the oldest boy out with you. He's, he's been itching to go out. So here I am kind of banged up, beat up, still sore from surgery. And I got my son out there with me and we were gifted with a doe that walked by and I gave him the, you know, the thumbs up, thumbs down on whether we were going to take it. Right. Um, so I look back at him and he gives me the thumbs up he was just so geeked and so i did it yeah, great you're taking your kid out like that man it's awesome yeah and he i mean it was something we shared even uh through this year i mean they've been involved with with everything that i bring back to the house but this was like the part where he got to uh part the veil and be out there with you and, and Harvest, to see that. Yeah. so put a shot on it with a um with my bow it was a little far back so we did get into a little bit of the gut it it was a quartering Oh, what do I want to say? Quartering away, quartering two. I can't remember which way it was, but anyway, probably away. Yeah. When it entered in, it it nipped some of the, uh, the some of the intestines went into the liver and ex- exited out through the lung. Um, so it went down, laid down, and I saw where it was at. And she was small, but man, as beat up as I was, I was like, shoot, I'm calling my buddies, and they're gonna have to drag this out for me. Like it, it you're so hurting, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I, I can't pick this thing up. So anyway, brought them out. We got it. We brought it out. But then at that point, I. And at that one, it was a quick job because I had uh, messed up the insides. Now, at this point, we've got contamination. Um, not to like, but I got up in there and I kept one lobe of the liver and I kept the heart. But the rest of it, I was like, ah, there's just too much that I don't want to mess with here. So I ended up leaving the insides of that one um, out there. But then I was like, you know what? Really, really dive into the next next ones you get. And I was then blessed with a buck and a doe. Uh, during firearm season, and I did. I kept both sets of the kidneys, and I've got aspirations for like a like a steak and kidney pie. At least oh, that wow, was yeah. my uh, my go to. I wanted to do something. It, it's old world. It's very very yeah. much UK. Um, but, well, that reminds me of my granddad. Man, he used to love that steak and kidney pie. Oh, good. So it, that's something I wanted to, wanted to jump in on. But at the same time, like, how do I approach a kidney, being that it is that it is an organ. It, it's, I mean, shoot, it filters out urine. So there's always that yep. uric acid that you're going to have to have, like as far as filter or getting that out of the organ itself. How do you sure. go about prepping uh, a kidney and how do you go yep. about preparing one? Well, good question. So let me give you full disclosure. I'm not a huge kidney fan myself. Um, I've eaten them a few times, uh, a couple times, actually. Um, like you said, they do, it is an organ that filters pee pee. Okay, so it does have a strong smell of the of the pee. Okay, when you pull it out and you first start to process it, and that um, can be removed. Um, it takes a little work, and I don't have a ton of experience for with it. But I'll tell you, like what the, I have done in the times that I process it. What I gen, what I did this year, just for time reasons, because I was so freaking busy, I didn't have time to do the whole rigmarole. Uh, so I I feed them every year to the dog or the cat. They love them. So you know, at least it's a use, right? Like there anything that's a use is I think just a step in the right direction. Right. Uh, and she loves it. My old girl will, will climb over a fence, even though she can't walk for kidneys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's 15. <laughs> That's a good but, dog uh, right there. 
Yeah. So um, the first thing you do is there's a membrane on the outside. So you want to wash that down nice and clean with good cold water, get that membrane off. And then uh, I what I've done is uh, separate them into halves and soak them in milk in the fridge for a few days and change that milk a few times. Uh, you'll see a lot of blood come out. It'll turn some funky colors a little bit, et cetera. You just keep dumping that stuff out and replacing it with fresh milk. That milk um, has acid in it and some enzymes that will help break that thing down and make it more tender as well. Like you could do with any meat and milk, actually. Um, it's a great tenderizer of meat. It just takes a long time because yeah. it's not, you know, it's not a chemical product that does everything magically and instantly and stuff, which is a lot better for you. So it's a little bit of time. It's a bit of a, a commitment, right? Um but then when you take it out, there's like a myriad of options. You can bake them, you can fry them, everything. What I've done both times is just fried it up with a little bit of butter and uh, drop olive oil in the pan to keep that butter from burning. And uh, a little bit of fresh rosemary and garlic, man. And uh, it's pretty deadly that way, honestly. It's pretty good. I tell you, you know, when you go with some of these cuts, even like you were you were talking about the liver being a, a fresh liver, fresh venison liver on this, it's we've got a whole myriad of dishes and directions you can go, but there's something about like keeping it simple. You just yeah. add, add the basics. It's a butter, salt, pepper, those three. Salt, pepper, then- every step. I don't know if you've seen on my channel. It's the thing. Like I keep saying over and over to people. I think <laughs> it's the biggest mistake of home cups is just put a little dash of salt and pep as you go with every little, however much you think for that ingredient needs as you go along, just keep doing it and it'll always turn out perfect. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, here it is in Oregon, just kind of bouncing around there in some of the bubblies of the the, right? the butter there and boom, down the hatch and you're going to, you're going to enjoy it. And that's a great way, like with pretty much anything, like just if you got a cast iron pan at home, or even if you don't like a little butter and a little salt and pep is kind of the way to taste things, especially if it's your first time trying something, mm-hmm. there's kind of like no better way. And it's honestly kind of like just one of the best ways anyway to eat anything. I think, you know? <laughs> Really taste it, you know? Yeah. I've got, uh, with the liver, I've, I've done the liver and onions. And yeah, like, I guess my experience with that is is very much like you said. Like, uh, my grandmother made it a couple times, and it was definitely, like, it was gray, and it was rubbery. and just Yeah, and it was just one of those things, like, I, I choked it down because it was grandma. And yeah, 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 yeah. Same thing with beets. She ruined beets for me for a while. Uh, but she oh, boiled them. them. She boiled the beets, and yeah, I just the back way. <laughs> could not handle it. They grew up again using everything that they could. They grew up through the through the depression. Um, so when my grandmother she wove back at baskets, um, and that was cool. one of her classes that she did. Well, she boiled the beets, not because like she was cooking beets for everybody to eat. That was that was the byproduct. The real product was she wanted to then dye the reeds in the dye that was released in the the liquid so then cool. she was boiling the beets you would have reeds in there with your beets and then you'd get you these make reeds, red like, baskets or purple baskets or whatever yeah for the accents that were going around so for different That's colors cool, man. It, it was and i look at that now and i'm like you know what i was just that i was a little kid that didn't get it you, you know, didn't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't know what i didn't know you didn't know your grandma was like super cool doing cool stuff uh, yeah, until all of a sudden now it's now she's done and gone, and now you look back at it, you're like, oh my goodness! I now I now I see it. Yeah, it did. It took me a while to to put that together, but yeah, it was like sure. that same thing with liver. It just, oh, but I was able to take it and find two things that I really do enjoy with liver. Um, one of them's fancy, and one of them's not. And I, I was afraid to like, um, 
like disguise it. I never want to really try to disguise anything that I'm cooking. And sure. I feel like with liver, that's one of those things like, hey, if you can stick it in and kind of like sneak it through like in a in a spaghetti sauce or a bolognese. For a lot of people, that is the case, man. Though it's not a bad instinct, you know, until right. you, know, you get the right-minded people who want to try, you know. And so the one I actually did, it's, uh, well, it, it's a Cajun dish. It's the uh, the boudin, uh, the, oh, little, yeah. uh, the, the sausage. And I actually went with like a little boudin ball. So you end up uh, put dusting in flour, and I actually froze them in uh, already pre-dusted with flour. So then when you get them out, you just make an egg wash, you got your panko, and you just, you know, one after the other into the egg, into the panko, into the deep fryer. And I brought those as just a snack, as a, as a treat we were doing at a, at a New Year's Eve party. And you know, so I kind of brought my kit, and I made like, oh, there's probably 16 of them that I made. And I expected there to be like a few leftovers. I thought I was going to get a few people Yeah, you expected 15 them. left over on the plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I had tried them, and I enjoyed them. But then after, like, again, after a day of, like, sitting in the fridge, like, that boudin just like worked its way all through. So now the spices are working and the, I had poblanos in there. So the poblanos kind of worked its way all the way through. Oh, that's one of my favorite peppers. I grow them every year. Yeah. But then at the same time that, that vent or the, uh, the liver blossomed in there really nice. It, it took a hard edge off, but you could, you could still taste it in there. And I, I came back to an empty plate. And in fact, some of the wives that were at this party were so uh, they're like, man, that was so good. You said there was liver in there? Because I was like, well, first off, I'm you're super brave for trying that. I didn't expect you to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That. I thought that was going to be the four guys over here drinking the lights that were all going to be able to uh, choke those down. But no, it went, they went really well. Um, but at the same time, it was. It was kind of incorporated in there. And the other version, the fancier version I did is uh, my brother-in-law got into ravioli or got into making pasta and so then i jumped you know one forward i said hey you make pasta press it out for me and we're gonna do raviolis and so i ended up making a mousse with uh onion and with liver and making those raviolis up again like yeah you've got a bunch of cream you get now you got some brandy in there and so it is kind of like you've got a lot of accompaniment with yeah. this. Well, sometimes, it's, you know, it, it, it's not, like simple is great, but sometimes just the right combination of things can put it over the top too, right? Yeah. And I've I got one bag left of ones from last year, and I've kind of been storing that one uh, for when it does get cold here. But yeah, it's like already like one of the things I'm so excited to get is to do these uh, liver and onion raviolis because they were such a hit. But yeah, you had so many different um, things accompanying it. It didn't totally hide it again. Like, if yeah, I told you, hey, this liver is liver, there. there's yeah. going to be liver in there. You're not going to get rid of it entirely, but at the same time, like... Well, nor do you want to. It's bite. a good, fresh venison liver, man. I want to taste that, man. I hear you. Yeah. So, anyway, that's that. That's my story of liver, and it's very sounds very similar from yours, where it's like, I came from a world of, yeah, I... This, like this liver needs, grows. Well, this needs to live out in the woods. Yeah. Forget about it. Gross, man. <laughs> <laughs> but then but it's... But I got to... If... uh if I could uh, just give folks who are listening a, a quick tip on liver, I did a whole, another whole how-to video series. I don't know if you caught that one on processing liver when it's fresh, when it comes right out of the deer. Um, the liver is another filter organ. It's probably one of the most nutritious um, pieces of meat or you know organ, ophal, uh, any mammal 
if you ever watch Wild Wolves, okay, uh, get on YouTube, watch Wild Wolves, watch what they fight for, okay? It's the liver every single time, and there's a reason. It is the most nutritious thing that you can eat, literally. It's so yeah. packed full of vitamins, minerals, etc. but it is a filter. Um, and a lot of that chalky, gross taste um, that – uh, you know, people could describe as off flavor or, or, you know, unpleasant or whatever is just the sheer amount of blood that that organ holds. Um, its job is filtering blood. It's, it works 24 seven for the entire life of that animal to remove toxins. Right. And so when you shoot that animal, um, whatever toxins it was filtering at that moment, get locked up in there. All right. So and that's all that blood that's in there. So, um, if you, Scroll back in my feed, I don't know, probably about a month now. Um, check out that if you're interested in eating liver and you want a way, way better liver eating experience, learn how to process it properly. Get that blood out of there. I take a liver. The first thing I do is when I remove it from the deer, even when I just sort of finish dressing the deer, I'll squeeze as much blood as I can out right on spot, right, right on the spot, right next to that gut pile. Mm-hmm. Then I take it home and I'll maybe cut it into, you know, a couple size portions that you might feed two people with or whatever. That's kind of how I do it. And then I soak those things in cold water. I'll put them in a great big giant bowl, soak that in cold water. And repeatedly, you will see that bowl fill with blood. And then you pour all that cold water out, get that freezing cold water back in there, set it off to the side for five or 10 minutes. You'll see that water turn red with blood again. And you can do it and every single time I dump it out, by the way, I'm re-squeezing those cut pieces and getting even more blood out of it, then soak them back in the cold water again. And that thing will fill up like literally 10 times. It's a bit of a time commitment. Yeah, But if it you is. get the most amount of blood out of that one particular organ, kidneys are kind of the same, actually. If you get that blood out of there, that liver becomes a whole different eating experience, like on another level, like 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 michelin star french chefs will freaking fist fight each other for that right <laughs> <laughs> like that's the good stuff man you put in the time that liver will pay you back man and it is like i said the probably the most nutritious if we're talking about like what's good for us to eat out of a deer piece of meat in that animal there you go it is funny like you mentioned like what what are the uh predators that that bring down an animal what are they going for first or even shoot even the scavengers when one just kind of falls and collapses and now it's uh yeah they're opening up the inside they're never going ripping off the hide to go for uh you know the straight yeah they're not going for the back strap they go for that last man they go for that last this is you were talking earlier about uh, what i thought was interesting about like you know kind of a renaissance and bringing back lost knowledge kind of you were touching on that this is stuff that our Aboriginal ancestors have known since before there was written history, man, is that the good stuff, the really good stuff is on the inside. Yeah. Maybe that's why my ancestors kind of liked the back, the back strap because we were usually late to the party. We had the short yeah. legs. We're- <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with backstrap, man. If you- right, it was just that this is as quick as I could get here, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds perfect. No, I like a good piece of backstrap. I'll eat any part of a deer, but uh, especially the bone-in loin chops that I make. I don't know if you saw those tutorials, but how to cut them. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the. That's, uh, you know, those, I reserve those for the special guests, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) There you go. Now, you guys have not been plagued with the CWD uh, pandemic yet, have you? They say it's coming, but, uh, and there are some recorded cases in Ontario just last year. It has started, but uh, on game farms, 
so far. And thank God we haven't had any of those animals escape and they've destroyed them all uh, systematically. Good. We have a really strong policy on that stuff. Our MNR is really, really pretty hardcore and very good. Uh, sorry, Ministry of Natural Resources and Forests. If for those of you down south that maybe don't know what the MNR is, I don't know what you call it down there. But uh, uh, they're, yeah, we they're go. Pretty, we don't go with ministry. We go with uh, department. So we have the DNR. Yeah, DNR. All right. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I knew that. I just, you know. Anyway, I had a real long drive, as you know. Today, I'm a little tired, so <laughs> <laughs> I should have just picked that out. But anyway, so we've been very lucky um, that we, as far as I know of, and there's people you could talk to that probably know better in terms of the stats. But as far as I'm aware of, we don't have a like a hunter reported case yet. Good, good. That's yeah. that's a blessing. Get don't get that stuff. Is if you have anything to to do with it, don't don't ever get it because that yeah, keeps me be. away from making the bone in stuff. It's just using a, a guess the yeah. spine. Um, I use the long that's a good bones. Point, man. That's a good point to point out because we don't have to think about that up here, but maybe you do. Yeah, we are. I'm kind of on the front lines. We're it's it's in the county over. And it hasn't come its way here yet, but we're in the monitoring zone. So it's it's just one of those things like, yeah, there's a lot of like little safety things that I'm really just thinking about and like little extra steps here and there and finding ways. Um, well, shoot, even my equipment. Uh, I did a I did a podcast with a gentleman of out of uh, I think it was Minnesota. And basically through his work in the lab, they figured out how to deactivate the prion on non-porous surfaces. So okay. uh, like plastic, plastic um, uh, cutting boards and uh, steel tables, and then like your knives, um, you can, you can soak those in 50% uh, bleach and water um, and do that for five minutes pull everything back out and give everything good rinse. Um, what you've what you've done there is not killed uh, the prion, but you've deactivated the prion. It's not going to Interesting. Uh, it's not going to continue to spread. It's still there. It's still working, but it's not going to multiply. Uh right. but it sterilized it somehow. Correct. Correct. So okay. that was a thing that I was like, shoot, if anybody's doing their own deer, like this is how you're going to be able to you know, shoot. Otherwise, you you find out that your deer that you cut up uh, after testing that it had CWD. Well, you got to throw out the box. Now you got to throw out the knives. Now you got to get rid yeah. of the table. And it's uh-huh. just like, shoot, you're done with that. That's not something. That's not. Nobody could afford to do that. And so now, right? Yeah. Knowing this little bit of information and helping uh, home processors do this, it kind of like, all right. So I got to make some adjustments with my equipment that I'm using. I can't necessarily use the old trusty. Uh, you know, maple and oak, uh, uh, blocking board. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, at the yeah. same time, like, well, I can just switch out for something non-porous and that way I can go ahead and, uh, clean that off. So no, you guys don't have it. Don't get it because it does bring it's a bunch of headaches. You mentioned the, the bone in cuts. So that's a, that's a risk as well. You doing bone in cuts. Cause I do mm-hmm. ribs every year. I actually really like them. I found the, I, I think I found like the best way to cook them. Uh, I do a lot of bone in chops. Uh, you know, nice French cuts, or even a lot of times I'll just leave all that rib meat right on them because I love just like chewing that off there. That's a good chew for me. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's so it's a thing you got to avoid, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's a thing I avoid. The marrow? Um, is it the marrow? Because I love eating marrow. Like I make asabuco like a mofo, man. Like I love the marrow of a deer. I love marrow in general. Yes. It is from the brain cavity, the skull, all the way down the spine to the tail. Uh, so it's, it's not necessarily like marrow and it can infect the ribs. It can get into ribs. Um, I haven't heard ribs. 
they are close to the spine. I ended up cutting. It connect. I guess. Yeah. By tendons, but still. But anyway, because if you, as long as you don't, as long as the way that I've, that I've read it and the way that I take care of my processing is that I just try not to get anywhere near the spinal column. As in, okay. I don't want to, it, in some cases, like when it's finally getting to that butcher down point where I'm to have to take the head off, I'm yeah. basically, I'm going, I'm breaking into that. And so now I'm going to then take that knife and go right through the, uh, through the process. I have my bleach right there, go through the bleach process right there. I got 50, yeah, 50, yeah. drop it in five minutes, put it on timer, pull it out. Then like when you're cutting through that. that big yellow, yellow nerve that goes down the back, you're worried about that part. Right? Yes. And it's that nerve yeah. and the brain. That is the, that's the hot part that I am like, this yeah. is my ground zero where I cannot, I can't play around with. Now, I got you. when I get to the point of like, all right, I'm taking quarters off or I have, you know, I've got my, my long bones, essentially the, the femur and a, away from there, I, you know, I use full advantage of those bones. Um, yeah. The, yeah. the ribs, I'll, I take a little saw and I just cut and I'm probably like two, two inches away from the vertebrae at that point. Um, I have done the French chops. Uh, a couple times they do take a little bit of uh, extra cutting, and I just haven't sure. yet found the what do I want to say the the audience yeah. or the event to use those at because right now my kids are all super small and they end up right they don't appreciate it yet. <laughs> They've had well, it a couple a lot of times. New hunters but... here. You know, I get a lot of new hunters like friends who are just getting in. Not a lot, but you know, the odd guy that comes in, and I, you know, I take it down south with family and stuff. And people, you know, people who don't know wild food can be kind of hesitant about eating it. They have a lot of preconceptions about, you know. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in our society, people seem to think that industrial food is better. You know, would it couldn't be further from the truth? Like, remember, when I was just I was joking about a minute ago about like you know these Michelin star French chefs fist fighting each other over ingredients. Um, that would be true of anything in my pantry or my freezer. Wild food generally and wild meat specifically is of such a higher standard and quality when processed properly than anything you're going to get in a grocery store. Um, it's not been – like some of these processing plants, man, they're doing 15,000 animals a day, man. Yeah, They're having to spray stuff down literally with ammonia because there's so much feces on it. You know what I mean? My deer don't look like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's a much higher protein and mineral and, and, and nutrient contents, vitamins, all that stuff. The meat is just better in general, but people don't know that. And they have these preconceptions about, you know, stuff. Unfortunately, people think something isn't safe unless it comes in a plastic package on a shelf, you know? Yep. White and, plastic uh, and uh, foamers. They make everything and, look safe. Yeah. They, make, they, they give you that uh, sense of everything's okay. Sure, but what they don't tell you is that you know your that meat has been sitting in there for God knows how long with all the toxic ga- off gassing happening from those plastics and foams, etc., saturating into there. We don't even have studies on this stuff yet, man. Um, I've done this for informal survey. You know, in my business, like uh, in uh, outfitting and guiding and stuff, I get a lot of doctors <laughs> who come out. You know, imagine, and, that. <laughs> uh, yeah, imagine it. So I've done this kind of informal survey over years and years. Uh, and like, I just, I have some friends who are doctors and I've seen a lot of doctors due to my condition. And I've been doing this informal survey for a long time now. Um, and people would be shocked at how little actual training a medical doctor has on nutrition. Um, take a guess, take a guess. So out of like on average eight or nine years, a study that a doctor does. Okay. How much time do you think they spend on nutrition? In other words, keeping you healthy. Oh, they probably have three or four courses that cover that 
within their entire uh, entire doctorate. So how so how much time do you think they put into that? Oh, like out of that out of that eight or nine years. Oh, it's a semester, semester and a half. The average is under ten hours. Really, it is less than ten hours of actual training on nutrition to keep you healthy. The you know um, it's not a doctor's fault, right? It's the institutions that form them, but they're there to fix problems, right? Um, they don't. They know how to prevent them. I think a lot of them, but most of them really don't even have that training, man. Um, so unfortunately, like the, all that stuff filters down in society into, oh, it's safe if it's in plastic, and um, it's been you know inspected by some government agency who doesn't even know the nutritional fact uh, facts of it, right? Honestly, it's, it's the honest truth. It sounds like a, like 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 a goofy conspiracy stuff, but it's really not. It's it's this is based on like a, this informal study, and actually you can even Google this stuff. I've read so many white papers and things on nutrition just because of my own sickness and trying to heal myself, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of shocking um, how little information there is out there um, regarding wild foods and their benefits, man. Absolutely. And I think one of the big... Anyway, that's a whole the- rabbit hole, man. I don't want to go down yeah. like a whole giant <laughs> rabbit hole with you. I know you were here to talk about a specific thing, but um, just suffice it to say that that deer that you have in your freezer that you harvested yourself and you know where it came from and it hasn't been jacked full of growth hormones and chemicals and stuff sanitized for your protection, as they say, and all that is much, much better for you than uh, some piece of ribeye that came from some industrial source. It just is. Absolutely. And like you were saying, too, like, I mean, there's there's a lot of informal stuff, like the informal study that you were you were referencing to. And then. The more you're finding out that people like when they finally do put a study to it and they start to really look things over, they realize like, wow, what a powerful thing we have, especially when it comes to like either, you know, wild foods that we're talking or even just taking taking parts that we haven't even normally utilized that don't necessarily go onto the plate. Yeah, they're one of those. Right. The one of those I think actually has taken off boomingly is bone broths and stocks that's one that's one that really i think has gripped a lot of people as really like oh this is something we've we've missed out on and that's a big part of a cooking but at the same time you're talking about where you you were having a degenerative disease that there's a lot of minerals there's a lot of collagen there's a lot of marrow that or a lot of nutrient in those marrows that Shoot, I bet you with the amount of stock that you're making and consuming, that's got to be a big part of what's helping you heal yourself. Yeah, I bet, man. I think you're not wrong. A lot of my thing is just getting all as many chemicals out as I can and, you know, trying to be as self-reliant as I can, you know, in my life. But for sure that shored up your own system with the very things that are you're lacking, you know, like when you have like a degenerative arthritis like mine, it's polyarthritis, right? Um, when you're putting all the stuff that's missing right back in, it can't hurt, right? <laughs> like, especially you're talking collagen and glucosamine and all these, uh, byproducts that are right in that bone broth. Um, yeah, man, like the more, get them in you, you know, the more you can get in there, the better you just, you're just shoring up your whole system. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, 
The Huntivore, or Instagram at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. So, so yeah, you and I, we're, we're breaking our animals down. We're going through the butchering process. Like you said, mm-hmm. we, we're taking apart the hind leg, and we're left with the femur. We're left with the shin. We got the shanks. Um, I use the whole spine. I know that's probably a no-no in your area, I guess, but I <laughs> use the whole spine. I use everything but the skull, man. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Hey, good on you for right now. I just It's one of those things I just can't right now. Um, no, I understand. I understand. It's that's it's a good PSA to put out there too, because I wasn't even aware that it was that bad that you couldn't you like boil the bones, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I boil my bones. I do everything outside of just the spinal column. That that is one of those things. Like, yeah, I just I just get rid of it. But then to like, yeah, I get the I get the femurs off. I get the front legs off. Um, good friend of mine actually said uh, when I get down to the the actual like where I take the shins off and I have the the hoof section basically. If I work my blade on down, get to that next knuckle, shoot, yeah. there's so much connective tissue in that lower section. Um, yeah, that's the good stuff, too. That's what thickens up your stock, man. Yeah. You know, that's why my dogs like it so much. They always go and steal those off the gut pile that, that are there. And I'm right. like, you know what? That's for you. I'll let you have that. And now I'm kind of like, okay, you get two I'm because I'm going to keep I'm going <laughs> to yeah. keep two. You know, I'm bad for that. I'm gr- I'm glad you brought that up. I usually just right at the, you know, that shin knuckle, I usually just kind of leave them again. Yeah, like might I'll give one to the dog and she'll work on that for a couple of days and be real happy, etc. But there's no reason I couldn't be skinning those out down to the hoof and using it. Yeah, that's a very good point, man. It's just one more little morsel you can get a hold of. Why not? Yeah. Um I I cut my bones. Do you cut your bones for yep. getting them into the stock? Oh no, not necessarily for stock. Well, well, it's, it's, there's some cut bones that end up in there. Like I got to part out the spine. It's too long. Yep. I just don't have a pot big enough. Right. So I'll cut that, break that down into at least three big sections. And, uh, let me think of what else might be cut. There may be a section that ends up in there from the femur where I make Asabuco. Okay. Oh no, sorry. Not the femur, the, uh, the lower shank, mm-hmm. uh, where I make Asabuco. So there's probably like, you know, a couple little ends there that are cut, etc. But, uh, from what I understand, it will the good stuff will work itself out over time. Okay. Um, but I think being cut is a definitely, it's a good point. I mean, you get it out quicker for sure. I, I have a, a smaller stock pot. It's a six quart. And so okay, just yeah, out of, fine. just out of necessity of, I mean, I could make it look like a little bouquet of really odd looking flowers of just <laughs> the, the ends of the bones. Um, yeah. But I ended up just cutting them. And yeah, I, get them I've, get them I've heard smart. people yeah. say like, no, no, don't, don't cut them. And I've heard other people like, oh yeah, good idea. Speeds up getting this stuff out. So I've just gone with, well, it, it works for me. So I cut them down. Yeah. Um, this is my that's first round. Question. I'll think about it more. You know, that's, I, I, this is why I love having these conversations. Cause it's like, you know, I get a mix of half and half that end up in there. And I kind of wonder that's a, I'm going to do some reading on that, man. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, good. This is my first round of just doing straight, uh, straight bones straight bones yeah. and, and meat that, that have gone in because I wanted to go for uh, bone broth. I wanted to have something that um, I could possibly substitute coffee. Um, not this week. I, I thought I was going to do that, and I definitely went right back to the cup of joe. I needed that caffeine. I've got an issue. Oh, I'm an addict. I hear you now. <laughs> right now, it's freaking 10 o'clock at night, man. I'm like, <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> I know. I'm, fine. I'm like, I got to wean myself off because now I'm like to the point, too, where it's like, 
I don't enjoy the cup of coffee. I need the cup of coffee. And that's where I was I like, okay, you. we got to figure like the something out. One or two. And then from there, <laughs> it's just the habit. You know? Yeah. But I went straight on this one as far as I just put the whole, basically the, the whole buck went into one pot. Um, yep. So I really got that going in and I got six quarts of this stuff. Um, then I ended up re- reducing it. Um, but I, I wanted that one to do just the bone broth. And there's a difference between, or excuse, yeah, broth, broth and yeah. stock. Stock is what I made. I made bone stock, okay. and then broth is where now you're adding your your mirepoix. That's where you're adding yep. your your onions and your aromatics, uh, whatever. Yep. Yeah, aromatics, and you're adding extra into that because that's going to be the basis for your soup. Whereas yep. the the, well, the really stock important. is going to be a little bit more well neutral at that point. Yeah, it's an important distinction. A lot of people don't know the difference, and I, I've talked about it a lot on my channel. Um, so the way I like to think of it is stock is an ingredient, broth is a finished product, right? So think of it that way. So stock, you can kind of go any which way you want with it. You can make a sauce, you can make gravy, you can make soup, you could, and you're like, you're starting with a blank canvas of that good base, right? A broth, yeah. like you said, there's probably a mirepoix in there. For those of you uh, listening that maybe don't know what that is, that's just uh, carrots, onion, celery. Okay. That's a French word for the base of pretty much half of French cooking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when you, you, you simmer that stuff down and it gives you a nice base, uh, with some stock. So, um, basically the stock is the ingredient that you do with that mirepoix to make your broth. Right. And then any aromatics we're talking, you know, the, the Simon and Garfunkel, the parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and whatever else you want to throw in, there's a million different kind of broths um, that you can make. I've got done from the traditional, like my grandma used to make with just like, uh, some rosemary, a uh, little thyme and, uh, you know, the mirepoix right to, I've done crazy curry things and Thai ones. I make a Vietnamese broth every single year. Cause I eat a lot of pho. Um, I don't know if you know what pho is. It's, uh, you've probably seen the signs when you drove through Chinatown or something. It's the Vietnamese soup. Uh, the yeah. traditional Vietnamese soup is really, really good. Uh, I'm addicted to it, and I make a fob broth every single year, and I freeze a bunch finished products so I can just jam it out of the freezer, throw it in a pot with the right ingredients, and bang, I got fob, man. Because when I lived in the city, I would go once a week for fob. Like, I love it, but I can't get it up here. Like, I, I'm a three-hour drive from the nearest, like, mediocre fob. Never mind yeah. a good one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I make my own every single year, and then that broth is a finished product that you can just use straight out of the freezer or if you're canning it right out of a jar. Right. So that's that distinction. But stock is way more versatile. Right. Yeah. Stock is bone is like you could you could call it bone stock because you make it with bones anyway. Right. Let's, and another really great tip on making stock war broth is leave is leave some meat on those bones. Um, I used to be real crazy about getting every last little bit from my grind pile into the grind pile, you know, off bones. But now the stock has become so primordially important in my kitchen that I make a conscious effort to be like, okay, don't be stingy, man. Leave some on that bone. You need that for the stock, right? Absolutely. So uh, if not, don't think of it as a waste. Think of it as up in your game in the kitchen, man, leaving a little meat on those bones for your stocks and broths, right? Uh, and then, yeah, the, with, with stock, it really is just simmer it down. I start, get up to a rolling boil in case there's any bacteria that's developed. I'll let that go for just maybe five, 10 minutes. And then it's right down to a slow simmer, just the odd little bubble till the next morning and then uh, really another really good tip um, on stock or broth and you should be making your stock you should be starting with that base before you decide on what broth ingredients are going in that's the way i do it i get two big stock pots going is usually what i 
start with. I'll get all the goodness out of the bones. I remove those. And then I see how much liquid I'm dealing with to start dealing with my ingredients, my prep for what broth I'm making. Mm-hmm. I start chopping up stuff and getting out the herbs, et cetera. Once I see how much liquid I really kind of am going to end up with, once I simmer it, I can get a good idea once the bones are out. Um, but anyway, um, the tip I wanted to give you is just on salting. So uh, a good stock usually has some salt content in it, but don't do that till the very last second when you know okay this is concentrated to the point that i want it to be then salted to taste because it's very easy to put too much salt and then because you think you got a lot of liquid but then you reduced it down by half and all of a sudden you got to add water back in to make it usable because you oversalted it right yeah always add the salt at the end i think is one of the best tips i learned about making stock yeah i learned that lesson um shoot was just like making a pot of chili like all of a sudden you know, yeah, you let it tick over for an hour or so on the stove, and it really does like all, like every time you've salted each item that has gone Dang, yeah. into it, and then yeah, you add a little bit more, and then uh, yeah, you're when it's by the end, eat, yeah, you're like, oh, I need I need water here. I not only not to cool down just because from the spice, but now it's like dehydrating me as I'm going along. So yeah, man, for sure. So I hope I covered that for you. Was that the like your question about stock and broth? Did I answer it like the way that you wanted to, or do you have any other questions? Oh, it's no, a huge I, topic, man. Like I could literally talk about that for hours and hours. I put so much time and effort into it. And I think they're, they're just like one of the most important elements in my kitchen is those homemade stocks and broth. I, I dedicate like a fair amount of freezer space just for that. I being a professional angler, my next one was going to say fish broth. Have you yes, gone to sir. the point of doing fish broth? Yes, sir. I do. Um, it's usually when I got a big haul of something, like I'll give you an example. The last one I made, I didn't make any last year, or at least I didn't make, uh, like a freezer batch, like a big freezer batch last year. Sometimes I'll do small batches. Say I get a limit of walleye or bass or something. They don't lend themselves that great, but you can do it. Um, you just clean them down real good and it's the same process. Bring it up to a boil, let it simmer for a good long time. It's a lot quicker. Uh, cause the bones are smaller, obviously, right. Yeah. Like to get all the goodness out. So usually it's three, four, five hours at the most of a simmer. And then again, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this with any stock or broth, you got to skim that as often as you think of it. Uh, there's a lot of impurities that'll raise up to the top and you want to get that stuff out. That could be some bitter off flavors in your stock that you want to take out. Yeah. Right. So with fish, that's really important because there's uh, all kind of stuff like scummy stuff that can come up to the top. I find even more than with like a deer or a mammal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get all that stuff out and it's a much quicker process, but I gen- so uh, yeah, you can do it with small batches of fish, but generally like a couple years ago now, um, uh, we had just a huge mess of channel cats, like g- big giant freaking 20 pounders with giant bones, etc. And I made a big, that was the last big batch I made where I still literally probably have some in my, uh, freezer that I make soups from a lot. I do a lot of like, I really like a lot of Asian food etc so like a fish a good fish broth is a great base to start a lot of that stuff yeah so uh that big mess of channel cats that i had i think i ended up with oh probably almost a good like eight or ten liters i don't know what that is in gallons probably a couple gallons worth yeah of uh of stock that i've been using now for like a couple years in just the right time right and i don't make broths with fish uh, it's usually a stock because I want it super neutral where I can go any direction with it in the kitchen when I'm ready for that, when I decide what I'm cooking. Good. I know I got some angler friends that are going to be really interested in taking their, their fish using to the next level of being yeah, able man. to make some fish stock. That would be, and shoot, like when you were mentioning foe and then we were talking stock, I was like, I bet, like, I can't imagine a better foe than actually using some, uh, 
Did you see my venison bone broth fall that I just put up, man? It was like freaking deadly, man. (laughs) That's the good stuff right there. And just while we're on the topic of, um, you know, nose to tail, there's no reason we can't apply that same uh, ethic to fish, man. The liver is edible. Um, I always try and take a, a fish liver out. I don't need them all the time. It's a great supplement for the animals. I got a dog and a cat here. Yeah. Um, they're pretty fishy, you know, as you might imagine. <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm a guy that likes strong flavors. Like I've actually saved them up and made soup and done some cool things. I've fried them up before. I've done all kinds of experiments. They, I don't usually eat them that way, but I do try and harvest it just to, you know, honor that animal and use as much as I can. And a fish is no different than a deer or any other cute one. You know, Absolutely. I, I, I think it's kind of weird in our culture too. this thing where it's like the cute ones kind of get a pass on a lot of stuff. But like, you know, but the what like the fish that we can't relate to because it's such an alien looking thing somehow is just like it's almost like we're not killing it. You oh, know, yeah. it's just it's just such a thing in our culture, like just yank a fish out of the river, you know, but it's still a living thing, man. You should respect that thing. Yep. We throw it in a bucket on the dock and let the kids play around with it for a while. Like, yeah, you, right? you wouldn't do that with a deer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, isn't that a weird double standard? And it's like built into all of us. It's just because I think as fishing is just such a like a cultural phenomenon and like everywhere in the world people do with their kids it's just a rite of passage you don't think of it as such a big commitment like hunting you know and right. animals and they're smaller generally unless you're like you know in florida fishing sharks or something <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah there's the we, we pick on the little ones uh yeah well all of a sudden we got to find right? one that's yeah, or the ugly on one your own, yeah, or the ugly ones. <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway, yeah, you could use the liver and uh, like with walleye, for example, I always make wings. I, I'm sure that's that's gotten a lot more popular in the last few years, but there's some good meat there, man. You save those things up. I always got a bag of walleye wings sitting there waiting for me, you know, and I love battering those up in a beer batter and frying them up. That's all extra dinners, man. If yeah. you save them up and you put in that time and good dinners, man, like that meat is really good and tender and tasty on a walleye. The, wing. the wings, these are the, the essentially the cheeks. Uh, it's behind about. the cheek. It's behind the gill plate where you take like so. You know the the pectoral fins, the bottom fins on a walleye in the front. Okay, yep. That's where you start that cut. Um, I've got a couple how tos again on my on my Instagram about how to go about doing that. Or if you just Google it, um, it's become a lot more popular in the last few years. But that's a great like sort of like byproduct in the theme of our little talk we're doing here. Yeah. Um, that a lot of people don't even think of. Like I didn't even know that was a thing, man. For years, I just started doing it a few years ago, and I've been fishing since I was a child, man. You know, it's just that stuff ends up in the gut bucket and that goes out for the turtles. But like we can use that, man. You know, it's cool. That is. I would say another one that goes out to well, we're gonna we're gonna get back on land here a little bit, but this even goes for pretty much any ungulate that's out there. Um, utilizing more of the fat and the tallow. Uh yeah. in the domestic world, it it is still utilized heavily. I I just purchased a bunch for uh, making some fry oil and for uh, for making sausage here with my venison. Um, okay, but at the same time, uh, well, yeah, I got the the beef tallow or the um, beef tallow for the the frying. Um, I used yeah. pork. I like pork back fat uh, for my my sausage and my burger. I find tasty. it it oh absolutely tasty, but it does hold a a more neutral flavor. It doesn't taste yeah. As much as like what I mean, pork is na- naturally mild, but I still get my venison taste out of my burgers or my uh, yeah, I hear you, whatever yeah. or my sausage. I do pork grind. I do a, a, a like a like a, a certain amount of pork grind too every year for like tacos, enchiladas, some things. Yeah, yeah. so I like an eighty twenty just because it 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 fries up nice, and my family likes that. 
Um, yeah, yeah. It, it makes up good patties too. Just having a little bit of that pork fat in there. If I go straight veni, I find that you, you need an egg, you need a little panko yeah. in there to, to roll it in to get yourself a patty made. And I'm like, eh, just just add a little of the fat in there. It's a little fat. Yeah, it's made yeah. Every I don't day. <laughs> I don't subscribe to the egg and all that stuff. I I treat a burger just like a steak, you know. But it's true if you do straight venison. You're not. It's not going to stick together for you too good. So I do use beef fat in for the for my burgers. Okay. But and I've done pork ones too. Pork are delicious, man. They're really really good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, some fat to just it's really like a binder. Um. But then when you get like you know like my uh, my buck had some fat on it. He was he was a young buck. Um. He was rutting. I think he was kind of just pushed off by all the does. I think he was still too young to really uh, get in there. Yeah, get in there. He was getting kicked around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I I related with him a little bit, you know, later in life because I'm kind of yeah, like, right? you know, yeah, it's like me in high school. Like I thought I had a yeah. chance, but definitely <laughs> no chance. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the doe that I put down, she dwarfed. I mean, she dwarfed the size that uh, that that buck was. And then well, when I took doe can have a lot of tallow, man. Yeah, sure. I pulled that off, and I mean, you know how to boom, eat. She had she had butt cheeks, dude. It was round. <laughs> yeah, baby got back. Yes. <laughs> and I skimmed off a lot of it as I was breaking it down. And as I was doing this, like I had just gone through um, our, our last one. We're going to talk about uh, another another thing coming up here in just a minute. Um, but I was already thinking ahead, kind of what you were saying as far as like gleaning everything you can off this. And one thing I've I've always just held back or at least tossed away is been uh, the tallow, um, yeah. mainly because it it oxidizes quickly. It if it's gonna, if you're not gonna get a flavor that you're not really fond of, it's gonna be in that uh, that venison fat. It's also got a lot of oh, I forget the name of the actual acid, but it, that's the uh, it it basically coats all your mouth. It really provides yeah. that that, that waxy texture. Yes, yeah. it's very saturated. Not in the fact that it's you know a bad fat for you, but the, the fact that it's it gets hard. I mean, like brick hard. It's just not I, a pleasant eating experience, right? Yeah. But at the same times it does offer uses. And so I held that back and actually cooked some down um, and, and basically made a brick of tallow. Um, again, it was one of those things like there's going to be there's going to be a use someplace. And so that's kind of started me on my quick. I mean, shoot. Uh, deer tallow uses on Google. Or like, did you, you freeze know. it up, or did you? How'd you save it? Well, right now I got it. I got it in parchment paper in the freezer right now. So I got a little okay. brick of it. Um, I've got plenty more that I've vac sealed until yeah. I figured out es- essentially what I'm going to render it down for. Um, we we do live in the woods, and the people that we bought the house from they were they were big birders. They really liked bird watching. Um, uh-huh. In fact, oh yeah, sure. them, yeah, there you go. Yeah, we bought the house from the, these folks, and they actually they left us a list of all the different songbirds that had visited. The oh, that's house. amazing! It was an extensive list, Those and are it cool was just, people, it man. was so cool because yeah. you know, for a while I was just kind of like, oh, there's a there, there's just a little Tweety bird. Like everything was a Tweety yeah, bird. Yeah, right. But, that's what know, we say when we're duck hunting. Anything that's not a duck is just a budgie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got that from my buddy Steve. I love it. <laughs> ah, budgie, forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so at this point you know we haven't fed up the the feeders in fact they you know they, they left these old feeders that are all around and i took them down because i didn't i hated mowing around them and stuff but then at the same yeah, time yeah. i was like well shoot 
like now the boys are getting interested and just, you know, they're asking questions and shoot, this would be a great way for us to talk about diversity and talk about ecosystems is that, you know, yeah, yeah you can't, you, there, there's all kinds of animals that we don't see that if we just give the chance, if we just hold off tight here, we will see more of these, these critters. And so to, yeah, make up more of this suet, uh, mix yeah, in man. a bunch of the the seeds in there and hang those up. I, that was one use that I thought, Hey, it's, it's super easy. All I got to yeah, do is go to I've the hardware store one. and get a bag of seed and, and we're good to go. Yeah. Everyone loves it. So I've done that one. I've done like, I don't do a lot of bird feeding, but my girlfriend's like really into the bird thing. She, she watches birds. She studies them. She's really into it. I did a course with her on uh, like identification a couple years ago. And like, even by the songs, like we did a whole separate course on just identifying birds by songs. Uh, you know, when you can't see them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit into it, but I'm not like a huge bird guy. Like most of the birds I'm interested in are ones that I want to eat, you know, yeah. but um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, but uh, it is a great use. I've done it before. I didn't do it this year. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit guilty of not um, paying as much attention to the tallow specifically just because um, I'm all about the food aspect uh, with wild game, you know, and I've never, I've tried a few different cooking experiments and that waxy texture that you get off it um, is just, um, just a non-starter for me. Like, here's my opinion on tallow, like in the kitchen just before we get to the other uses, I don't actually, you know, people say it tastes bad. I don't think so. I actually don't think tallow tastes bad. I think it actually tastes quite good for me. It's the texture that drives me nuts. I cannot stand that waxy texture that sticks to the roof of your freaking mouth. And there's no way to get rid of that, you know? So I've saved it. I've given it to friends. Like I got a hippie buddy, a few counties over that makes candles. Um, so I, I cut and him and his girlfriend make candles and stuff and they sell them and do all kinds of stuff. And so I've done that. I've given, I've never done it myself, but I would like to, you know, there's a certain type of wild crafting like that, like as a term, like that, I feel like I personally don't have the patience for you or that I haven't developed the patience for yet. I want to get into it. Same with hides. We'll talk about hides in a minute, but mm-hmm. I just don't, I haven't developed those skills and I feel a little guilty about it. Like, I feel like I should do that. But generally, I'm real happy to when a buddy asks me, hey, we're, we're getting into our winter candles or whatever. How much towel you got? I'm real happy to hand him a couple of big bags full of it and get it off my plate, but also get a good use out of it. Just know it's being put to good use. Yeah. So I, we talked sorry, a little about this. No, yeah, We talked about a little of this as we, we were starting that you yourself were like, hey, I, I'm not necessarily an expert in everything that you've got your you've yeah. got your home bases. And why do we put such a pressure on ourselves to, as, as people who are content ca- creators or even people that just are in hunting in general? Yeah, like I you just can't get, know everything, right? Right. I think that's one thing that kind of hangs people up too because they're like, ah, shoot, sure. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with that. I feel that way myself sometimes. You know? And that's to be that's going to be okay. And I think that the reason that's, that's okay is that all of a sudden the opportunity – for what you were just saying that you got a hippie buddy who's a county over and he's, gonna, he, he's all about that tallow because he's making Love candles it. and yeah. you you give him you give him the chance to use a lever he might stare at that thing and be like hey, uh-huh. yeah I got, I got nothing <laughs> yeah but, yeah man i just want to make a couple candles <laughs> yeah i'm all so about it right yeah it creates this community aspect that you I love know, that, your yeah. niche is going to fit in so tight with somebody else who's got their thing going 
that I mean, yeah. shoot, we mentioned it even just with the Instagram that yeah, you flock to people who uh, who are similar to you. That yeah, we want to you know circle the wagons and bring everybody in and you know get a chance to know each other and what do you really like and totally. uh, but at the same time, like a lot of the stuff that I'm looking up is stuff that I don't know. I'm looking up. You know, too, guys yeah. that are doing woodworking. I'm looking up guys that are doing different, you know, bushcraft. I'm looking up guys who are doing automotive stuff. Shoot, there's stuff always going wrong with the car. And it's like, right? I need yeah. somebody else to be the expert so that I can get that from them. So that was yeah. just in our talking as, as this came up, it was like, man, what a what a great way to like bring this all about is because, yeah, we're going to be dabbling in a lot of this. And your whole channel is just based on, hey, I learned something new. Come along with me. Check it out. Yeah, let's see if this works. (laughs) Right? Like, even my cooking stuff, like, I have a big audience of just people who want to watch me cook and try things because it's like, you know, the wild food thing, like 80% of my diet probably is wild foods that come right out of these forests and out of my gardens and stuff. That's like kind of an exotic thing for a lot of people, you know? It's a lot. Most people live in cities, man. They don't even have the opportunity to do that. They live vicarious through guys like us, right? Like, to see that stuff. So, um, it's like, yeah, like, if you can share something with them, and I, my whole thing is about planting seeds, right? Especially in the kitchen. Like if, okay, I'm doing this thing with venison or with a catfish or with a, with a rough grouse, right? Like you could apply that. Hopefully maybe that inspires somebody to like go to a better butcher and get a, get a, some kind of grass, grass fed piece of meat or a, or a, you know, some kind of little, little fowl that they, that you couldn't get it in a big box store or whatever. Right. And just experiment with some things. And that's, kind of it's just like what we're talking about with the uses of all these other little products you know like that most hunters don't think of like it's kind of a very similar thing just sharing that information throwing it out there and hopefully inspire someone to like do something cool and something that's probably hopefully good for the planet and probably good for their body right absolutely absolutely and so we're going to bring this we're going to make this circle all the way back around we started talking about your dough that you had wrapped up in a blanket and right. <laughs> we're going to finish talking about your dough here. Uh, All right, t- that's what you, you wanted took, to talk about. Yeah, you took the hide off and you've got some plans, not just for, uh, you know, keeping hair on, but you're looking for full on buckskin here. Yeah, man. So I should qualify this by saying I have about zero tanning skills myself. <laughs> um, and this is just to loop this back to this little bit of a conversation we were just having is like, it's like, the tanning is again a real sort of time consuming really involved thing that takes some i think anyway it takes some expertise and some knowledge and stuff and it's just the kind of wild crafting that i think i don't naturally have the patience for but i want to develop it over time i'm gonna work on it but in the meantime i it's really just the last couple years where i've wanted to stop just leaving them in the gut pile for the coyotes yeah. Not that that's a bad use. I mean, those we need coyotes and wolves as much as we need as anything else in the forest for a healthy ecosystem. But if someone I know can get use out of it before I get my act together, why wouldn't I do that for them, right? Absolutely. So my last couple deer, I have fleshed out and salted the hides and then given it to somebody who knows what the hell they're doing, right? Uh, just as a gesture. And I think it's like, I feel better about it because it's like more of that animal getting used for a good purpose. And that's valuable to somebody, maybe not to me. It would be if I knew how to freaking do it and I had the time. But uh, I like the idea of, you know, what we were talking about. Like, you don't have to know everything. You kind of can't know everything. But if you're just conscious a little bit, if you just put a little effort into thinking about how you could use different parts of the animal, um, there's always going to be someone that that sees value in it, right? 
Absolutely. So I've got a, a friend up north who um, is uh, learning those skills and has some of those skills already and is going to make something beautiful out of that. I think she's going to make maybe some mitts or a cool little foraging bag or like some moccasins or something out of it. And um, yeah, like with my little basic freaking knowledge and I don't even have the right tools. Like I don't have fleshing tools, et cetera. I do it with a freaking fillet knife, man, like yeah. a savage. Uh, and if, so if I, if I can't take those Twitch muscles off and salt it down for her and spend an extra hour or whatever, like what the hell, what's wrong with me, man? I should be doing that all the time. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I got, uh, same thing. Like, cause uh, you know, as I was talking, I was going to be full transparent before we were talking. I, I pawned my two hides off on again, somebody who, uh, well, he doesn't necessarily know what he's doing, but he's part of, he's, he's uh part of the Potawatomi tribe here in Michigan and their big push right now is getting knowledge keepers together. Yeah, man. And they really are in those communities, man. Absolutely. All getting being lost. An, you know? Being an oral tradition and being hands on, they're like, we we want to do more workshops. We want to do more uh, through through their tribe um, at the tribe headquarters and and try to bring in some workshops and stuff. And so. Um, he goes, we're not, we're not professionals. You, you know, we're, we're just kind of, we're practicing with it. And I'm like, dude, I, I am more honored the fact that it's going to get used towards yeah. spreading your oral tradition. You know what? It, I'm, I may not be a part of it, but at the same time, if it boosts your community, more power to you. And so, yeah, if it can help yep, in any way, why wouldn't you? Right. Absolutely. And so those are going off there. And cause That's I, awesome, I, I wanted to do the leather the same as you. I wanted some buckskin. I really wanted to make a, a couple, a, like a tool roll and oh, yeah. a knife roll. But that's something that too, like yeah, when I go to something, maybe a pair of gloves or something like I love to do that. man. Yeah. But to go to, you know, cutting up a buddy's deer and I come up and I just slap that uh, leather down, like shoot, every part of what I just brought is going to be essentially like it, it, it's sentimental. It's meaningful at that point. It is and meaningful. Yeah. That's what I was really, really excited for. I mean, Anything shoot, if you I make, make some for yourself, especially off an animal you harvested yourself, it's like, those are memories. That's the reason, like, I'm not a rack hunter. Like I could care less. I'm a meat hunter, you know, but yeah. I think there's something, I like the way Ranella puts it. He's like, there's something to be said for having a memory up on your wall and that nice specimen of that thing. You know, he's a great ambassador. Eh? I really like the way he thinks about that particular topic. Yes. Um, it's like, yeah, man, you know, the blood, sweat and tears I put into that thing. And every time I look at that, you know, I'm looking at a Euro mount right now, like of a buck, three bucks ago or whatever, two bucks ago. I'm thinking, man, do you know that was that one was there was four hours left in the rifle season. I hadn't seen a freaking deer for 14 days in minus 20. I had six inches of snow pile on me on a ground hunt. And that thing meant so much to me, that thing hanging on the wall. Imagine how much it would be if you had that sheath for your knife that's going to be on your side for the rest of your life or a pair of gloves or whatever, man. Like, those are just sweet, sweet killer memories, man. Absolutely. That's funny you mentioned the Euro. Yeah, right up here. The broken Miro uh, over my shoulder. Yeah, I see. Here. You got a couple there, too. Yeah. Yeah. That little Forky. He started He started this whole thing. This is my first deer. Yeah. I, uh, he, he's on every episode that I do on Zoom. He gets to that's sit awesome, right here. Man. And right... it's an amazing memory, right? It just <laughs> Absolutely. It every time you look at him, I bet. Well, Steve, this has just been a great chat, man. I feel like this has just bolstered a lot of, uh, I don't know, just my my whole perceptions on waste not, want not. That's been something that I, when I get that animal and I bend down to it, like you're giving thanks to it. And the second way you can give thanks is using every possible bit. Nothing 100%. goes to 
nothing is going to be left out there for eternity. Everything's always going to get used. There is, there is someone, there is a scavenger who, even though I put that deer down, there is some little scavenger. There is a crow sitting on a, on a uh, perch watching me, waiting for me to walk away so that he can have his turn at the gut yeah. pile. But at the same time, again, to fully take that responsibility and then from that be able to just glean every nutrient to glean every use out of what we've what we've done i like that word you just use responsibility man because it's a thing that i think about a lot in my own diet and the way i'm trying to live and be as self-sufficient as i can and be as kind of live in harmony with nature without sound trying not i'm trying not to sound cheesy but like it really is a big part of my whole my whole like mo now is like trying to live as much in harmony with nature as possible and a big part of that is responsibility man it's about protecting and revering these resources uh using every part of every single thing knowing what that is educating myself and uh, again sharing it out uh as much as i can to spread these ideas around right like we get one kick at the can in my opinion uh this planet um needs us you know uh, to take care of it. And, um, the more we can get out of every little part of the experience and, and respect, uh, those ant, the animals and the plants and the mushrooms that we take from the earth, the more we learn about it and understand these systems, the more she'll take care of us, man. I'm, I'm, I think I'm living proof of it, man. You know, beating a freaking, you know, you know how many doctors told me this disease I have has no cure. All of them. Man, and I, if you have no symptoms, who cares? Right? right. And I firmly believe that the reason I'm walking around being able to live the life that I'm living today is because of that respect that word you, that you use is that respect that I have for nature and these systems and considering myself a part of it, not above it. I can tell even through an audio or just an audio, audio conversation that you are passionate about what you're doing because not only has it provided, like you said, healing, but you just find purpose. In yeah, man. That. Steven, where can, where can my listeners follow along with you? Where can we find uh, more about Steven and more of the stuff that you're doing, both your business and the Instagram? Come on over to um, Instagram, man, if you're not on there already and you don't have to have an account, but it's better. Uh, and my handle is Stevie, like Stevie Wonder, Stevie, S-T-E-V-I-E with an underscore and then fun for F-U-N-F-U-R. Uh, that's my main platform where I put out all the things I'm doing. I make announcements on there about all the courses I teach about wild mushrooms and plants and fishing and hunting, the guiding that I do. Uh, etc. This winter, I will be guiding out of Halliburton Forest Wildlife Reserve. So if you happen to be in the neighborhood in Ontario, come on out. Specs, right? Brookies, rainbows, lake trout, some of the prettiest little backwood lakes in Ontario, snowmobile access only. Uh, again, uh, you can, uh, there'll be all kind of information on my Instagram about how to get in there and book, etc. You could catch me out there. Um, I do a lot of collabs with like YouTube people and that kind of stuff. Uh, I got a little streaming series of my own in the works etc so that'll all be coming down the pipe but i think the focal point for all that stuff right now anyway is my instagram so hopefully uh you know see some of you guys on there and get into some good chats i love the little community that's growing there we get a lot of great conversations about all this kind of stuff and more and uh yeah it's growing every day and i just really like being on there and doing it man oh and last thing i should mention is uh if you are in canada listening to the hunt of war podcast um i just wrote my first article for outdoor canada magazine outdoor oh, canada congratulations. yeah thank you man uh it's a big honor for me it's uh 
institution in our country. It's the sort of, it's like our field and stream. It's like the, the OG of hunting and fishing magazine that's been around forever. And I'm like, just so honored to have been asked to do uh, some writing for them. And I hope that continues in the, in the future. And my very first article is hitting uh, all the shelves in the print magazine this very week. So uh, if you're in Canada or if you get a copy of those down in the States, I don't know if you do or not, uh, pick up a copy and support, uh, support the cause, man. Sweet, sweet. Well, Steve, I'm going to hold, I'm going to send our listeners on out here. I'm going to have you hold on for, for just a second. Folks, you got it, brother. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You can me just... too. Thank you. Let me, before you just yeah. sign off, oh, let, me, ahead, let me say thank you to you for the invite. And, uh, this is a great podcast. I'm going to start listening to it on the regular. And, uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I've had an amazing, amazing t- time here, man. Thank you. Yeah, this is, I tell you, when people get together and we get passionate about things and we really dive into just kind of the, some of the how-tos of of what we're doing and why we do it, things just come out and you just have a pleasant, pleasant time and you, you glean a lot of information. So folks, if you've gleaned something out of this, make sure you kind of just put that into practice. Maybe the next deer that you get here in firearm season and late uh, antlerless, maybe you save, uh, save a little. Maybe you finally, like, get over that hump of uh, staying out of that area, leaving it outside. Maybe it's just keep one thing. You know, give it a shot. Maybe you've been thinking about the heights. Maybe you've wanted to try something to do with it. I have, you know, there's several resources, Stevie being one of them, that you can check out to see what's going to be my first step. But whatever your first step is going to be or whatever the first thing that you're going to be keeping as a little bonus extra, make sure that the knife that you're going to be using is always sharp.